And so he buys this parrot after the owner of the store convinced him that the parrot was able to talk. Because in the store, the parrot was saying a few words. We got this parrot home, and all the parrot would do is use bad language. I mean, every word out of his mouth was, was terrible. And so this new owner tried to convince him that you better change your ways and threatened him. And he said, if you say a bad word one more time, I'm going to put you in the freezer. Well, out of this parrot's beak or mouth comes a bad word and puts him in the deep freeze for an hour. Takes him out of the deep freeze. This poor parrot is shivering and, and he uh, is, is almost dead. And the uh, owner says, now, have you learned your lesson? He says, I've learned my lesson, the parrot said. But I have a question. What did the turkey say? <laughs> now, we know that it's, some of you are just getting that. <laughs> we know that animals don't talk. Right? We're coming to a story this morning. This is a series of miracles. Uh, but there is a donkey in the Bible, whether you know it or not, back in the Old Testament, that actually speaks. That's right. A donkey that speaks. Back in the book of Numbers, chapter 22 through 25. Well, we want to look at four chapters this morning. So hang on to your seats. Uh, we might be here a little bit longer than, no, we shouldn't be. I think we can cover these in uh, the next 30 minutes. But before we look at the story, uh, the owner of the donkey, his name is Balaam. And we need to say a few things about this guy, Balaam, because he's a very interesting character, to say the least. Balaam was a prophet. Now, I want to read what J. Vernon McGee, J. Vernon McGee, there we go. What was his first name? John, was it? Really? I never thought of that until now. Thank you, Marlene. <laughs> J. Vernon McGee. Who, do you know Tom? I don't know either. Anyway, um, Balaam, this is what McGee says. Balaam is one of those mysterious characters one writer says that he is the strangest of all the characters in the Bible. Some authors consider him a genuine prophet of God. Okay, that's one side of the coin. That Balaam is an actual and genuine prophet of God. And you'll see as we read the story, there are many indications that he is a prophet of God. On the other hand, some say he's a religious racketeer. So the question is, is Balaam sincerely seeking to serve God, or is he a fake and a phony? And so McGee goes on to say, you'll have to be the judge of that. And you will have to be, because I'm not convinced either way. Some of the story indicates that he is a man of God. Now, he's not a Jew, he's a Gentile, but some would believe, and it could very well be, that he is a true prophet of God but you're going to see other things that would indicate that he's really just a phony. 
and he's a fake. And he's just in this thing for the money. So you can be the judge of that. There's quite a bit said about Balaam in the New Testament, however. And um, each time it's connected with apostasy. So we need to say that up front. That what is connected with Balaam is, is apostasy. And he is universally condemned in Scripture for moral, ethical, and religious faults. Uh, not, there's not much good that's said about Balaam in the New Testament. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we read about the way of Balaam. And the way of Balaam is that Balaam was a greedy, covetous man. And he's a prophet only for the money. In Jude chapter 11, we read of the error of Balaam. And the error of Balaam is this, that because Israel is a nation that has sinned against God, they ought to be cursed. Then we read of the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam, back in Revelation chapter 2. And he taught the enemy to corrupt Israel. We're going to discover that he's not able to curse Israel, so he taught the enemy how to corrupt Israel by tempting them to commit sexual immorality with foreign women. So there's nothing much good said about Balaam. However, when we read the story, uh, you might see a few things that would indicate uh, that he is a man uh, or a prophet of God. We want to look at the story, we want to look at these four chapters in the form of a two-act play. Two acts, no intermission. I'm not going to ask you to stand and take 15 minutes to go to the bathroom. We're going to go right from act one right into act two. But we want to look at the story in the form of a two-act play. So let's jump right in. Act number one, the way and error of Balaam, found in chapters 22, 23, and 24. Scene number one. Let me read a few verses right at the beginning of chapter 22 of the book of Numbers. Then the Israelites, they traveled to the plains of Moab, and they camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. Now try to picture this in your mind as I grab my laser pen. Um, I know that's hard to see for you sitting way in the back. Uh, but what we have right here is the promised land. Uh, here is the Jordan River. Uh, right here is the Dead Sea. And on the east side of the Dead Sea, down here are the Moabites. Now, we just read about the king of Moab, Balak. And he's located right down here. Well, what do we read? They're filled with dread. They're scared to death. Why? Because Israel now has come up into this area. They have, here's the Amorites right here, and Israel has defeated the Amorites. And the king of Moab down here believes that he's next. So he's filled with dread. So he's afraid that the Israelites are going to come after him. But the Israelites, we know that they're camped right here, just above the Dead Sea, and right here is Jericho. 
And we just read a few weeks ago about the walls coming down in Jericho where the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and they marched around the walls and they all come tumbling down. Well, that's the plan of Israel. Israel is right here. They went across the Jordan River, go in here to Jericho, and uh, they're not planning to go down to Moabites, but the king doesn't know that. And so the king of Moab is terrified. He's afraid that what happened to the uh, Amorites is going to happen to him. So bear that in mind. Here is Balak, the king of Moab, who fears Israel. He knows that there's no military way that he would be able to defeat them. So he decides on another strategy. How is Balak, the king of Moab, able to defeat Israel? Well, this was his strategy. I'm going to call on this prophet named Balaam. Balaam is known to be able to bless people and curse people. He has a huge reputation. And so Balak believes that if I could just go to Balaam and get Balaam to curse Israel, then I have a fighting chance against the Israelites. All right? So that's the background of all that's going to take place. So Balak begs Balaam to use his powers and offers him money in order to curse Israel. Well, Balaam goes before God. Look at verse 12. And this is one of the indications that would make us believe that he is a true prophet of God. Look at verse 12. Balaam goes to God and God says to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. So Balaam actually goes to God for advice. He goes to God for guidance and direction, which at this point would appear that Balaam is a good guy, that Balaam really is a man of God and a prophet of God. And God actually comes to Balaam and gives him an answer uh, when he says, God, should I curse them? God says, don't do it. Don't curse Israel because they are a blessed people. Now listen, God makes the instructions very clear. Don't go and don't curse. Balaam knows exactly what God just stated. So Balaam gets off to a pretty good start. Now we know back in the book of Genesis chapter 12, uh, we know when God came to Abram, when he was there in the Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, he said, I'm going to make you a to be a great nation and I'm going to bless you and you will bless others. So God has blessed the nation of Israel. And now, Balaam is being asked to curse them. God says, you can't curse a nation that I have blessed. Balaam, that just isn't possible. So Balaam goes to the officials, the princes that came to him, and he says to them, go home. God said no. God said, I can't do it, so go home. Again, up to this point, all indications are that Balaam is a pretty good guy. Scene number two, verses 15 to 20. The word goes back to Balak that Balaam won't curse the Israelites. So what does Balak do? Well, he's not willing to accept that answer. 
he really believes that somehow he can convince Balaam to curse Israel. So he sends more numerous officials, he sends more distinguished princes, and he ups the ante. He ups the ante. Look at verse 18. But Balaam answered, Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Here's Balaam again. And again, all indications seem to be that he's following the ways of God, the commands of God. Balak comes or sends his officials and they say, uh, uh, this is what we're going to do for you. And Balaam says, I can't, I just can't do it. If you offer me all the silver and gold in the palace, I, I, I still couldn't do it. Balaam seems to be making a good stand at this point. But then he says something in verse 19 that starts to make us feel as though he's not all he appears to be. Verse 19, now spend the night here, Balaam says to the officials, spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell. What what do you mean what else? I mean, Balaam, what part of don't go, don't you understand? That's why I try to stress the fact that Balaam knows exactly what God told him not to do. God said, don't go and don't curse. Now, he says, you stay the night here. And I'll go back to God, and we'll see if God doesn't have something else he wants to tell me. Or maybe he'll change his mind, or, or maybe I can manipulate God somehow to, to, to answer the way I would like him to answer. You see, I believe at this point, we begin to question Balaam's motives in all of this. And we have a good right to do so because we know elsewhere in the verses we read in the New Testament that Balaam is a greedy, covetous man. He's looking to make a profit by the use of his gift. And then in verse 20, and and it almost seems to be a contradiction, you know, that night God comes to Balaam again and he says, well, since these men have come to summon you, then go with them, but only do what I tell you to do. See, God said, don't go. And I said, well, okay, go ahead with them. But when you go, uh, only do and say what I tell you to do and say. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when we get an answer from God and we don't like it, and we keep going back to God to try and twist his arm to change his mind, that sometimes God says, you know what? If that's what you really want, I'm going to give it to you. And that's when trouble begins. You remember Israel back in the Old Testament? You remember when Israel, they they said to God, you know, we want to be like all the other nations. They didn't have a king because God was their king. And so they come before God and they said, we want to be like all the other nations. They all have these kings. And God says, you really want to have a king? Is that really your desire? Okay, I'm going to give you Saul. And that's when trouble begins. When we start to to think that we know what God wants, but we really don't want that. We want something else, and we're going to keep coming before God. And not that God changes his mind.
time, but he says, okay, really, really want to give it to you. But notice when that happens, the trouble begins. All of a sudden, we're going to find trouble beginning. Everything starts to go wrong now. Because God says, okay, if this is what you really want, and God knows, you know, the heart of Balaam. He knows that Balaam is in this to get a few dollars. God understands that. He can read the mind of Balaam. But this is when things begin to go south. Look at scene three. And I want to read a little bit of a lengthy portion here because this is where we um, read of the talking donkey. Um, Look at chapter 22 and verse 21. So Balaam gets up in the morning. He saddles his donkey and he he went uh, with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. See, God knows his heart. God is not happy with Balaam at this point. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to opposite him, to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a path, a narrow path, through the vineyards and the walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. He opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, now this is the donkey talking, (laughs) what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answers the donkey, you made me a fool. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey says to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? which you have had, you've ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Well, no, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you, because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. But I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize that you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the officials. God knew Balaam's motives. He knew that Balaam was in this because he was greedy. And God is angry. God is angry with Balaam for going. Balaam's real intentions were known to the Lord, and 
God is severely displeased, and he decides to confront now the prophet. So Balaam gets up in the morning, he saddles his donkey, and off he goes. He's going with his two servants, he's going with the officials, they're going to Moab, they're going back to Balak. And on their way, there's an angel of the Lord that stands right in the path of the donkey with a drawn sword. The donkey's able to see this angel of the Lord. Balaam is not. And the, uh, the donkey knows that the angel wants to kill his owner that's sitting on his back. So what does the donkey do? Well, the donkey wants to save Balaam, so he goes off into a field to avoid the angel of the, of the Lord with a drawn sword. Balaam doesn't know what's taking place. He only knows that this donkey is now being disobedient to him and beats the donkey down in the field. Well, they get up and get on their road once again. Off they go. They come to this vineyard, and there's walls on both sides. And again, the donkey's eyes are open, sees the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword, and in order to spare and save Balaam, he moves over to the side to try to get by the angel of the Lord and crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. Again, Balaam doesn't see the angel of the Lord and beats the donkey the second time. They get back up on the road. They're headed uh, to Balak. And um, once again, the angel of the Lord comes, stands right in front of the donkey. Uh, the donkey sees the angel of the Lord. This time, they're going through some narrow pass, uh, and he's not able to go to the right or to the left, and so he just lays down right in the road. Balaam once again beats the donkey. At this point, God opens the mouth of the donkey. And I love this picture because I think this is, you know, there's the angel of the Lord, here's Balaam on his back, and the donkey now had enough of being beaten, right? So he looks back up at Balaam, and he starts to talk. And he starts asking questions like, what have I done? Now listen, the donkey doesn't know that Balaam can't see the angel of the Lord. I mean, he's a donkey, right? He, he, he sees the angel and assumes, I suppose, that Balaam sees it as well. What have I done? Why, why, why in the world are you beating me these three times? Haven't I been a good donkey to you all of these years? You've ridden me so often. Have I made a habit of this? And when he says, I've made a habit of doing this, that's when Balaam starts speaking to the donkey. And Balaam says, well, no. <laughs> there doesn't appear to be this surprise in Balaam. It doesn't appear that he stuttered. You know, what, 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 are you talking to me? It's almost a matter of fact. He just starts talking. Well, no, this isn't really the typical nature that you've been over these years. And then God opens the eyes of Balaam. You see, not only was it a miracle when God opened the donkey's mouth, someone said the greater miracle was when God opened Balaam's eyes. And Balaam now is able to see the angel of the Lord. And it's the angel of the Lord now who tells Balaam, Balaam, you're alive right now because your donkey just saved you. Had your donkey not gone out of the way, you would be dead. Balaam confesses his sin. Uh, the angel says, all right, go, continue to go on your way. Go to Balak. 
Um, but again, he says, um, do exactly what I tell you to do. Which brings us to scene number four. Scene number four. Balaam gets to Balak. All right, now the two are together. And um, what God is going to do is give to Balaam four great prophecies concerning Israel. Oracles or messages. And Balaam is going to go to a mountain with Balak and receive these prophecies and then share these prophecies with the king of Moab. So we find the two men, Balaam and Balak, standing together on a mountain. Uh, look at verse 44 of 22. It says, The next morning Balak took Balaam up to uh, Bamoth, Baal, and from there he could see the outskirts of the Israelite camp. So now the two are on a mountain, and Balaam is going to share with Balak these prophecies, four of them. And each prophecy is a prophecy concerning Israel, that they are a blessed nation, and they cannot be cursed. And each time, Balak is furious, as you can imagine. Balak, remember, he's terrified of the Israelites. His only hope is found in Balak, who he wants to curse Israel. But now Balak is going to be told, I can't curse them. They are a blessed people. Each prophecy is a remarkable prophecy. And each time, it infuriates Balak. Message number one. Look at chapter 23, verses 7 and 8. Then Balaam spoke the message, Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? Now, he's, Balaam is saying this to Balak. I can't curse those. I can't denounce those who God has blessed. Message number two, chapter 23, down at verse 19. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He is blessed and I cannot change it. Balak, don't you understand? God doesn't change his mind. When God says something, he means that. He has blessed Israel. He's not going to say, okay, now go ahead and curse. God just doesn't do that. Balak is again infuriated. He's angered. Takes Balaam to another mountain. Message number three, chapter 24 and verse 9. Like a lion, they couch and lie down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed, and those who curse you be cursed. Balak is again infuriated. They go to another mountain. The fourth message is found in chapter 24 and verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. What a remarkable prophecy. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab. Jump down to verse 19. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Remarkable prophecy uh, with the fulfillment 
the immediate fulfillment in uh, David, the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ himself. So what do we find in this in these messages, that Balak's plot against Israel has failed. He needed to have Israel cursed if he was going to defeat them. That plot failed because you can't curse those who God has blessed. And Balaam, he learned a lesson that you can't use your gift for profit. God just isn't going to let you get away with that greed, that covetousness. Now we come to Act 2. Act 2 is the doctrine of Balaam. And we find this in chapter 25. In order to understand what's taking place in 25 and really through the rest of the book, we need to understand what is being said in Revelation chapter 2. Remember we spoke of the doctrine of Balaam? What is the doctrine of Balaam? Balaam could not curse Israel Therefore, what Balaam did was he taught Balak, the enemy, how to corrupt Israel and get God angry at them. So what is going to happen in these verses is Balaam, and again, we understand that from Revelation 2.15, Balaam is going to teach the king of Moab. Remember, Balaam isn't a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's going to teach Balak how to corrupt Israel. And the way you do that is you get Israel to worship your gods and have sexual immorality with your women. And that's exactly what took place. The Israelites decided to bow down to the gods of Moab, and they started to have relationships with the women of Moab. And this is what Balaam taught Balak. And so then we come to chapter 25, and we discover that in this chapter, all the way through the end of this book, in Act 2, we have a great battle scene where Moab and the Midianites, they combine forces. And these two nations come against Israel. And when all the smoke clears, we read all the way back in chapter 31 that Balaam is lying dead in battle. So what can we learn from this story? What can we learn from this talking donkey? Well, here's the first lesson I think we can learn. You know, when God asks us to do something, he's looking for absolute obedience. When God asks us to do something, God is looking for absolute obedience. Balaam knew exactly what God wanted him to do. Don't go and don't curse. But Balaam was not willing to accept that. And so he came back to God, looking for God to change his mind, looking for God to add a few things or take away a few things. He knew exactly what God commanded him to do. And when you start coming before God after you already know what he wants for you to do, that's when things go south. There's no question that Balaam knew exactly what God wanted him to know and do. And when he started to question God, 
started to try and manipulate God. That's when things went very bad. That's when Balaam started to find himself in trouble. When we hear the voice of God, whether that be in a still small voice, whether that be through Scripture, and we know that God has just spoken, we know exactly what God wants us to do. We need to follow that command. The second thing I see here that we can learn is that when we step out of his will, uh, as Balaam did, when we step out of the will of God, he often puts roadblocks in the way to get our attention. Didn't that happen to Balaam? Balaam went to Balak, and God put up roadblocks to make him turn around. God let Balaam go with Balak's messengers, but God was angry because now he's out of the will of God. His greed blinded him as to how God was trying to direct him and how God was trying to guide him. You know, when we get out of God's will and we, we start to go in a certain direction, God loves us that much that he at times will put up stop signs. You know, today we often call those closed doors. I've often said that a closed door is, is, is even better than open doors because if you're going down a certain path and this isn't the path God wants to take you and he stops you in your tracks you ought to thank God for that. Sometimes it hurts, like it hurt Balaam, you know. But a stop sign ought to be greatly appreciated because God is keeping you from further harm and further trouble. Maybe God today is closing some door in your life. You're trying to go down a certain path and you just sense God is saying, don't go that way. Sometimes we resist. Sometimes we fight it. But you ought to be thankful if God is closing that door. And then the final lesson, and I'm sure there are many others. God doesn't take kindly to people messing with the things that are his. <laughs> you know that, don't you? God does not take kindly to people messing with the things that are his. Don't mess with Israel. Don't mess with Israel. Israel are a people who God has blessed. Israel is a people who God has blessed. God said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Now, there's a message that ought to be spread throughout the world. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you are a God who speaks. And Father, you speak clearly. Father, we read scripture and we hear, thus saith the Lord. Father, help us to be obedient to you in all our ways. 
And again, we pray. We pray for the land of Israel. Lord, as you have blessed them, that you would bring peace. Father, you're an awesome God, and you just use your word in so many different ways. Continue to speak to us as we leave this place. And Lord, we are thankful to be in your house this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. 384, all my beings, ransom powers, all my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all my hours. Let's stand together and we'll sing this and be dismissed. thank you for the power of it. We thank you that it changes lives. Father, as we've studied together this morning, I pray that you would use uh, these words uh, to transform us, to conform us into the image of your Son. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.